Hello, thank you for tuning in to our Empire Lecture Series podcast. We hope this podcast finds you well, whether you're driving to work, between cases, or adding some education to your workout. Remember that all of these lectures are also available on our website and YouTube channel. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars and subscribe. Happy listening. Uh, we are very lucky to have Dr. Israel Deutsch with us this morning, um, speaking to us about stereotactic body radiation. So I want to give a quick introduction to Dr. Deutsch. Um, Dr. Deutsch is an assistant professor of radiology, uh, radiation oncology, I should say, at New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. Uh, Dr. Deutsch completed his radiation oncology residency at SUNY Downstate and went on to do a fellowship at Memorial Sloan, Cancer, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And now he's the director of brachytherapy services in the Department of Radiation Oncology at Columbia and is the associate residency program director. Um, his research really has focused a lot on decreasing toxicity from radiation therapy in patients being treated for prostate cancer as well as a variety of other cancers. Uh, and this is really is a perfect segue from last Friday's lecture on brachytherapy, because Dr. Deutsch today is going to talk to us about uh, what we need to know as urologists uh, regarding um, uh, external beam radiation therapy. Um, Dr. Deutsch, we've been starting each one of these lectures uh, with a brief discussion um, for the residents and the medical students tuning in about mentoring and tips for urology residency training. Um, you're coming from the other side, from the radiation oncology side, but a lot of your career success has been uh, based on collaborations you've done with urologists and, and physicians in other fields. So I was hoping you could maybe give us a few tips for building research collaborations um, and uh, ways that that has um, worked for you over the years. Sure. So, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the people that I collaborate with most closely are actually on this uh, on this Zoom right now, and you know I think there's perhaps a couple of points that that uh, are important to keep in mind. Number one is that uh, keep a very um, open line of communication for every single patient. So any development, whether by email or a phone call, um, you know we'll we'll make sure to be in touch if there's a new development, a question about management. Uh, you know, we're always um, communicating about that and making the decisions in a collaborative manner. And, you know, aside from the fact that that's the best way to care for patients, I know that certainly the patients um, appreciate that and feel, feel uh, very comfort comfortable uh, by knowing that their physicians are talking to each other. In addition, you know, in particular related to SBRT, when we wanted to start this program a number of years ago, and uh, we were hoping to, uh, which I'll talk a little bit about later, but we were hoping to start by using the uh, space or uh, gel spacer between the rectum and the prostate. So we did not have the ability to start that program in the radiation oncology department. And it was only through a very close collaboration uh, with the urology team, in particular, Dr. Wensky, uh, that we were able to put this together. And, um, you know, we've been able to move forward to um, some research, take care of many patients, and, uh, you know, and publish some work about this. Great. Well, thanks so much for that. And that's a perfect segue to turn the microphone over to you to start your presentation. I'll tune out here. And um, uh, if we could leave about five to 10 minutes for questions at the end, we have people submit questions through the chat function, and then I'll pose them to you at the end of your talk. 
Okay. Sounds Great. Good. Thanks. Thank you. So uh, thank you to the organizers for having me uh, to speak about stereotactic body radiation therapy, SBRT for prostate cancer, with a, uh, an eye toward what the urologist wants to or needs to know about this. Um, you know, this is becoming an increasingly common modality for treatment of prostate cancer. And even, in even just the last year or two, there have been significant developments that, have, that will shape and have shaped how we use this. Um, as I mentioned, you know, my collaboration uh, with the urology team and specifically with Dr. Wensky has, uh, you know, to, to allow this program to go forward has been invaluable. Uh, and I encourage uh, whoever is looking to start so, such a program to try to create such relationships with their colleagues. So <clears throat> I think uh, since this is a talk that's geared toward urologists, it's probably important to uh, provide some definitions. These are terms that you may read about in papers or hear about in tumor boards that we just uh, throw around. And it's probably important to understand what these mean. So 3D CRT is an older form of uh, delivering radiation therapy. And we still use it fairly commonly today, uh, but not necessarily in the treatment of uh, prostate cancer in the definitive setting. But essentially what it is, um, if you look at the upper image on the right, you can see one example of 3D CRT. That's where you have one beam coming in from the front, another beam coming in from the back. Occasionally, you can have even up to six beams of radiation coming in to somewhat shape uh, the beam and conform it to the target that you're aiming to treat. But your ability to, um, to follow the contours of the tumor and to exclude areas that are not necessarily part of the tumor or part of what you need to treat is somewhat limited. Uh, next generation would be IMRT or intensity modulated radiation therapy. I'm sure every urologist has heard that term and that's taking advantage of uh, the ability of the machines, uh, an advance of the machine of the radiation delivery machines called linear accelerators to be able to shape uh, multiple little beamlets and uh, make a composite so that you can actually take advantage and shape your beam dose um, to the tumor and conform it even better than with 3D CRT. And you can see an example of this in the bottom uh, picture on the right where, you know, same patient, but now you're able to avoid treating the bladder and the rectum and you're able to really shape your dose uh, as evidenced by the greenish bluish cloud uh, to the area that you'd like to treat. Uh, VMAT or volumetric modulated radiation therapy takes advantage of using uh, technology called ARCs, and it's really, uh, you know, even a next generation of IMRT, often you're able to deliver those treatments a little bit more qu quickly. And then our topic for today, SBRT or stereotactic body radiation therapy, uh, is often using technology of IMRT or <clears throat> VMAT to uh, create what is, uh, you know, one of the e even more conformal therapies where you're having very minimal margins uh, within the normal tissue and the immobilization of the patient is such that you have to make sure that your reproducibility of the treatment is really um, exquisite and very precise. 
Fractionation. We'll be talking a lot about fractionation today because that, um, you know, is, is very much a part of stereotactic body radiation therapy. Fractionation means the um, ability to take a course of radiation therapy and break it into small treatments or uh, fractions, most typically delivered once a day. Uh, that's standard fractionation where you're delivering 1.8 to 2 gray. Gray is the radiation measurement dose. Um, the, the way we calculate how much dose we're giving to the patient. So the standard fractionation um, really for any tumor site is 1.8 to 2 gray per fraction. And most typically those treatments are delivered once per day, um, five days a week minus weekends. Moderate hypofractionation is um, when you're trying to perhaps shorten the course a bit uh, and deliver a higher dose per treatment. Uh, so instead of delivering 1.8 to 2 gray per fraction, you've increased the dose per fraction to 2.4 to 3.4 gray. Often these can be delivered on a daily basis as well. And then we get to ultra hypofractionation, where you're delivering more than 5 gray per fraction. And sometimes you can um, deliver only one or two treatments of these per week to complete a course over just a couple of weeks. Ultra hypofractionation um, is an example of what stereotactic body radiation or SBRT uh, uses. So hypofractionation uh, essentially means that you're delivering fewer doses of a larger size per fraction uh, over the course of a treatment. So the total dose of your course of radiation ends up being lower and the course of radiation actually ends up being shorter. Most of you are probably familiar with the Phoenix definition of failure after radiation therapy. This came, this came after the Astro definition, which was much more complex and ended up introducing some inaccuracies. Um, the Phoenix definition uh, has been this way for uh, more than a decade. Nader of the PSA plus 2.0 um, of uh, PSA elevation, obviously. Um, you know, if you're concerned about a rise and the situation is, um, you know, is, is, is raising some concern, then you certainly will pursue um, a workup before you get to the Nader plus two. And the Nader plus two does not, not necessarily take into account the phenomenon of a bounce, which can be seen, a PSA bounce, which can be seen, you know, in approximately a quarter to a third of patients, particularly who receive SBRT. But um, Nader plus two in most cases uh, is an accurate definition of PSA failure. So why would one consider uh, going forward and, and uh, switching from standard fractionation to a course of hypofractionation? So first of all, um, you know this is out of a this is just one example of a review of uh, the cost effectiveness of SBRT versus a course of IMRT. IMRT. Uh, other than SBRT, IMRT is the standard approach for treating prostate cancer. So it's appropriate to uh, make a comparison of SBRT versus IMRT. And these numbers come from uh, a report out of the um, UT Southwestern group. And they've shown that, um, you know, you can see that there's a, a significant difference in the cost uh, of a course of SBRT versus IMRT. However, um, that's a tenuous difference because if the quality of life uh, when delivering SBRT decreases even by just a bit, then this benefit would disappear. So it's very important for us to 
make sure that, uh, that the outcomes, both from a tumor perspective as well as from a toxicity perspective, uh, when using SBRT, are equivalent or perhaps even better than IMRT. Uh, certainly, <clears throat> and this is very clear, uh, you know, the, the course of SBRT is much more convenient. Patients' eyes light up when they hear that there is such an option and they no longer have to come in for the long six to nine week course of radiation and instead they could complete it in approximately two weeks. And then <clears throat> the radiobiology of uh, using a, a hypofractionation approach or a larger um, dose per fraction makes a lot of sense for prostate cancer. Um, I'll go through, I, I've avoided any of the equations and I'll just go through some of the concepts behind the radiobiology for a couple of slides. A lot of this initial work was done by our colleagues, uh, Drs. Brenner and Hall at Columbia. So the, um, the alpha beta ratio, which is something you probably can't read, um, uh, certainly the early papers, but even today, a paper about uh, SBRT without encountering this term, the alpha beta ratio, and that's a measure of the fractionation response. Um, so another way of, of putting that is that if you have a low alpha beta ratio, uh, that's consistent with late responding tissues, meaning that if a tissue with a low alpha beta ratio um, has a greater likelihood to repair radiation damage between fractions, we know that as each fraction is delivered, um, there's, um, there's some repair happening between the different fractions. Um, so if you have a... Um, if you have a low alpha beta ratio and, and each tissue has a characteristic alpha beta ratio, uh, if you have a low alpha beta ratio, then between those fractions, let's say a fraction delivered on Monday versus Tuesday, by the time Tuesday comes around, some of the radiation damage that has uh, been wrought by the radiation that was delivered on Monday has been repaired, but differentially in different tissues, based on the alpha beta ratio of the different tissues. So a high alpha beta ratio means that there's less likelihood of repair um, of this radiation damage between fractions. Uh, so if, if, if a tissue has a low alpha beta ratio, then overall it's going to have less overall cell kill over the course of a uh, typical multifraction treatment because it's repairing the damage. So every day it gets a little bit of repair, a little bit of repair, so you're not uh, you're not having the same cell kill as if there was no repair. Uh, now, for many tumors, the alpha beta ratio is, is higher, uh, which works well because there's less likelihood of repair, and therefore you're going to have um, you know, a greater response. For most normal tissues, and it, it's not all, but for most normal tissues, the alpha beta ratio ends up being lower, and therefore you have more repair, and that gives you the differential of which uh, radiation takes uh, you know, full advantage of and that your tumors, because it has less ability to repair, will uh, at the end of a course of treatment have more cell kill than the normal tissues, uh, which have a lower alpha beta ratio and have less cell kill. And that's called the therapeutic ratio. So uh, you know, there is a lot of work behind this, but I've tried to distill this down um, into the basic concepts. Now, prostate cancer is different than, um, than most other tumors. Prostate cancer, there are some other tumors that have a low alpha beta ratio similar to prostate cancer, 
but the alpha beta ratio in prostate cancer can be as low as uh, one to two, which is in some cases even lower than the surrounding normal tissue. So you really have reversed the therapeutic ratio. And for prostate cancer, the feeling is, and you know, the, the, uh, the models show this, that if you deliver larger fractions of radiation, larger sized fractions, you end up with a, a better therapeutic ratio. Um, and we, you know, until probably the last decade, maybe uh, two decades, we really, uh, although you know, the concept has been there, the, this concept was, um, was initially published uh, or initially thought about probably about 20, 25 years ago, uh, but only recently have we reached a point where the advances in imaging and planning of radiation and uh, being able to immobilize patients uh, ha have enabled safe delivery of these higher doses. Uh, and now, although the theory makes sense, we just have to prove clinically that, that the data is there showing that SBRT or hypofractionation of prostate cancer actually gives us equivalent and maybe even better outcomes than IMRT, standard IMRT. So let's start with moderate hypofractionation. Um, there are three uh, non-inferiority trials showing um, you know, that, that the hypofractionated approach is similar to the standard approach. And let's go through them in a little bit more detail. So let's focus on the PROFIT trial, which had a six-year follow-up, um, and that enrolled intermediate-risk prostate cancer. Patients who had intermediate-risk prostate cancer did not deliver hormonal therapy, and they were using two different doses. If you look at uh, this column right over here, uh, you, I hope that you can see my, um, my arrow. You can see that the two different doses, the lower dose is the standard uh, treatment dose, 78 gray and 39 fractions over eight weeks, delivering two gray per fraction. As we saw before, that is the standard approach. And then the uh, experimental arm or the hypofractionated approach delivered 60 gray in 20 fractions over four weeks. So this is obviously a great benefit and convenience for patients. And the dose per fraction is increased, which again takes advantage of the alpha beta ratio that we just spoke about for prostate cancer. And uh, th this was a sizable study. They found they had uh, about 600 arms, 600 patients per arm. And they found that uh, in both arms, the biochemical disease-free survival uh, was about 85% uh, at five years. So that, that showed an excellent outcome uh, for both arms and seemed to, to prove that uh, there was a good outcome, uh, even with hypofractionation. Uh, the next trial had a 5.2-year follow-up. What they did was they actually used, um, in addition to having one arm, which was more of a standard, it's, it's a much lower dose than we would typically use today if we were using IMRT. Uh, this dose would be considered 74 gray and 37 fractions, would be considered too low for us to use. Uh, and we would have to go at least two or three fractions higher than that, if not more. Um, but the experimental arm, they used two different approaches, either 60 gray in 20 fractions or took off one fraction and used 57 gray in 19 fractions. And it turned out that the 57 gray, uh, again, here you see that they had a substantial number of patients in the study. And uh, you see that the 57 gray approach was actually inferior to the other two. But when looking at the 60 gray approach, which is similar to the uh, profit trial, 
Uh, that showed, again, an equivalence to the 74 gray. And then there was an RTOG study, again, with uh, nearly six years of follow-up, using uh, as its standard arm, again, a dose that was, that's a little bit less uh, of a dose than we would typically use now, 73.8 gray in 41 fractions. But um, the experimental arm uh, delivered 70 gray in 28 fractions, a little bit more of a modest uh, hypofractionation to 2.5 gray, um, about 550 patients per arm. And again, um, there was a, an equivalence seen. There are a number of other trials that, um, other than the three that I mentioned, that looked at uh, various types of moderate hypofractionation, and there was a meta-analysis that reviewed uh, the results of those trials. And, um, you know, when putting it all together, there was really no difference seen um, for tumor failure or for mortality between the conventional approach or the moderate hypofractionation approach. However, um, this meta-analysis did show that um, in the acute setting, and acute we typically consider uh, during the course of treatment or within the first 90 days uh, post-radiation uh, therapy, and they found that acute toxicity was um, about 9.1% greater with the hypofractionation approach, the GI toxicity. Uh, they did not see that the other um, areas such as uh, urinary function had an increased toxicity with hypofractionation. One possible explanation of this is that many of the patients were actually treated with a more primitive three-dimensional conformal radiation therapy and did not or were unable to take advantage of the uh, uh, you know, availability of, of IMRT. Um, an interesting point is that um, nearly half of patients in both arms receive hormonal therapy. So, uh, you know, certainly in terms of tumor control, we're seeing that there is uh, an equivalence um, and the acute GI toxicity, that's something that perhaps could be remedied with use of improved technology. Based on this and a number of other trials, the, um, there was a consensus statement that was released in 2018 by ASTRO, ASCO, and the AUA, all, all uh, collaboratively. What they, re they recommended um, was that there was a strong consensus to deliver moderate hypofractionation, similar to the trials that I mentioned, the regimens that I mentioned across all the different risk groups, uh, regardless of, of age, comorbidity, urinary function, or anatomy. And they recommended to uh, just counsel patients regarding this small increased um, risk of, of acute GI toxicity, as well as to counsel patients about the fact that, uh, you know, while this was compelling data, it was not data with long-term uh, follow-up. To address the uh, question of improved technology, they strongly recommended the use of IMRT and not three-dimensional conformal radiation therapy. And I would say that, you know, the, and, and this has been shown in the, um, when looking at patterns of care studies, the vast majority of um, institutions in the U.S. that are delivering, uh, that are delivering fractionated radiation therapy are using IMRT and are not using three-dimensional conformal radiation therapy. They also strongly recommended the use of IGRT. I won't talk too much about this, although it's a very important part of the, uh, for the treatment of SBRT as well. Yeah, IGRT stands for image-guided radiation therapy, and essentially that means 
that, um, you know, in addition to creating these beautiful and exquisite radiation plans with IMRT that shape the dose very closely to the target, to the prostate and perhaps the seminal vesicles and minimize uh, dose to the bladder and the rectum. In addition to that, uh, it's important to make sure that on a daily basis, when you set up the patient, that you're actually delivering your dose exactly where it needs to be. We know there are uh, daily variations uh, in anatomy based on bladder filling and based on amount of gas or so in the rectum and, um, you know, and, and, and other factors. And by using IGRT image guidance, there are a number of ways to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss some of that in a little bit, but by using image guidance where you actually look in some way at the position of the prostate and possibly even the normal tissues, um, you can make sure that your precision and re reproducibility is uh, excellent. So that's moderate hypofractionation. What about ultra hypofractionation? So, you know, at the time there were many small retrospective and prospective trials available, some even that had larger experiences. There really were no uh, published and reported randomized controlled trials at that time, and there, there were no excellent meta-analyses. Uh, but there, there was a lot of data, and uh, people were really starting to use ultra-hypofractionation. And the question is, where it was applicable? Where could you use ultra-hypofractionation? So this same consensus statement did make some comment about ultra-hypofractionation. And they mentioned that in low-risk prostate cancer at the time in 2018 uh, could be conditionally pending you know, further data, pending further um, experiences, could be offered as an alternative to the standard of care uh, RT, which we mentioned was IMRT at the time. Uh, for intermediate risk prostate cancer, again, could be conditionally offered, but there was a strong recommendation in the intermediate risk setting to join a trial or a registry. And for high risk prostate cancer, it was not very clearly not a standard of care at the time. And conditionally, using it only when enrolling on a trial or a registry. They recommended um, outside the trial that the doses uh, should be somewhere between 35 and five, uh, 35 gray and five fractions or 36.25 gray and five fractions, which is the dose that, the, um, uh, that one of the RTOG trials uses and that we use as well at, at Columbia. They did not recommend completing the treatment in one week five fractions Monday through Friday, but actually recommended uh, leaving some space between treatments. And, and in terms of dose constraints, dose constraints for the urologists are, uh, you know, how we plan the radiation and what we tell our planning team to how to limit the dose to the normal structures. The rectum should not get beyond a certain dose uh, so as to limit the side effect to follow published data. And again, uh, even when planning this ultra-hypofractionation to use IMRT and not 3D CRT. So that was in 2018. Much has happened since then, uh, and some of that I will speak about, and then we'll see how some of the guidelines can be considered uh, to be updated. So uh, one of the very important trials that, that was published in 2019 is the HypoRT-PC trial. It's a Scandinavian uh, randomized control trial, a non-inferiority trial, 1,200 patients uh, with a median follow-up of five years. 
And they enrolled uh, inter mostly <clears throat> nearly 90% intermediate risk prostate cancer. Uh, they did have about 10% of high risk prostate cancer and they did not use um, androgen deprivation therapy. They had two arms as you see at the bottom of the screen. The, uh, the bottom arm is the conventional fractionation, and here you could see that it's 78 gray and 39 fractions, which is you know, closer to, to, um, to what's typically used when delivering uh, standard fractionation over eight weeks, two gray per fraction. And then uh, the, the other arm is an ultra-hypofractionated arm uh, with SBRT, 42.7 gray in seven fractions over two and a half weeks. So that is delivering 6.1 gray per fraction versus the two gray for the standard arm. And here you can see, you know, the, the, um, you know, the picture tells it all. There's 84% failure-free survival at five years in both groups. So there seems to be an equivalence between the ultra-hypofractionated arm uh, and the um, and the standard arm certainly five years uh, of follow up is is not nearly enough uh, for prostate cancer, but it's certainly uh, a compelling result. And it, very importantly, from a randomized controlled trial, this is a little bit of a busy slide, but I'll just call your attention to um, the upper left and the upper right uh, show the the physician reported toxicity results. Uh, while the uh, slide down, uh, the, the graph down below shows the patient reported. So the, the um, physician reported used RTOG uh, toxicity criteria, and the patient reported was, was really just with one question. Do you have problems with your urinary tract? And, uh, and what they found in terms of toxicity was that the, uh, in terms of acute toxicity, and I mentioned that's either uh, during the course of radiation or for the first um, for the first few months after radiation therapy, that they found that acute toxicity, uh, GU toxicity, um, both patient-reported and physician-reported, as well as uh, toxicity physician-reported at one year, uh, gra greater than or equal to grade two toxicity at one year after the completion of the course of radiation, was increased with the ultra-hypofractionated approach. Uh, over the conventional fractionation arm. Otherwise, the two were similar in terms of toxicity. And certainly in the longer term, at five years, uh, both arms had about 5% uh, greater than equal to grade two toxicity. Uh, and that was physician reported. And in terms of the gastrointestinal toxicity, again, um, the upper two are physician reported based on the RTOG um, criteria, and th this lower graph is um, patient reported, just asking them, do you have problems with your stool? And again, the acute patient reported toxicity uh, was increased with the ultra-hypofractionated approach, otherwise they were similar. And you can see that um, in terms of GI toxicity, at five years out, although there was a, this, this difference was not significant, but there was only a 1% um, likelihood of greater than or equal to grade two toxicity at five years uh, on the GI side versus 4% uh, in the conventional group. So there are conclusions from the hypo um, RTPC study were that seven fractions is, is non-inferior to uh, 39 fractions, uh, that early toxicity increased 
with the seven fractions, but late toxicity uh, seems to be the same. It's important to note that um, you know, this study looked at seven fractions. This was not a US study. It looked at seven fractions. In the current environment in the US, um, only when you deliver five fractions or fewer than five fractions can you call the course of treatment SBRT. And that you know, has implications for billing. So uh, you know, it would be important to get data on the five fraction approach, but nevertheless, this is a very powerful uh, support of uh, SBRT, showing the efficacy of SBRT versus conventional uh, radiation therapy. There was a meta-analysis, a large meta-analysis of, of SBRT taking a lot of, uh, many, many of the uh, smaller uh, single arm reports, all prospective trials, about 6,000 patients with a median follow-up of 39 months, <clears throat> including low risk, mostly low risk, um, but in, uh, and, and said about 75% of these reports included intermediate risk, and then maybe a third, a little bit more than a third of reports included high risk uh, patients as well. And what they found was a biochemical disease-free survival, I'm putting it all together, of 95% at five years, and um, just under 94% at seven years, which you know, is really uh, an excellent and a, a very heartening result. Um, they did not see the same uh, level of increased acute toxicity um, that was seen in, in the randomized trial, but they found really um, in terms of uh, grade three toxicity or more, less than 1% combined GI and GU uh, in the acute setting and um, in, the, in the late setting, again, low numbers. And the other thing that was important to find is that um, you know, the, the toxicity scores for both uh, GU as well as the bowel changes by two years after radiation therapy had returned to baseline. So it, it's important to be able to explain to the patients what to expect. Um, and one other important point, so we know that, that there's lots of data on uh, IMRT showing that a higher dose leads to better outcomes. I alluded to this before. Uh, an increased SBRT dose uh, was shown in this meta-analysis to uh, lead to better outcomes. However, there was also more uh, late GU toxicity with a higher dose. Um, so the PACE trials are um, this very complex group of trials and um, out, of, out of the UK, and I'll, I'll try to explain um, how they break down the various different, they're actually running three different trials under the name PACE. There's minimal data out, but whatever data is available is very important. So there's one arm, uh, so the PACE, PACE is uh, an international trial. I, I mentioned that of mostly out of the UK, Canada's in, uh, involved as well. Randomized, open-label, non-inferiority trials, and then the goal is to have 10-year follow-up um, for, for every patient and have three uh, independently powered sub-trials. So the first one, about which we do not have data yet, it's currently accruing, uh, is SBRT versus prostatectomy. Uh, you know, there, there is data available on uh, standard or conventional fractionation radiation versus prostatectomy, but this would be important uh, to, to show that SBRT uh, would have equivalence to a prostatectomy. 
The PACE B trial is, a, is um, a little bit more involved. So initially they started with conventional fractionation of 78 gray in 39 fractions. You can see here in arm A, and then uh, they modified that with an amendment to the trial to allow the 62 gray in 20 fractions, uh, which is more of the moderate hypofractionation. Hypo and then the second arm was ultra hypofractionation, this dose um, that you saw before, 36 0.25 gray in five fractions. They did not allow um, hormonal therapy and the uh, cohort of patients uh, is low or intermediate risk prostate cancer. Um, they did ex exclude Gleason 4 plus 3 from this uh, cohort. And then the third trial, PACE C, uh, which is still uh, accruing as well, is um, the first arm is a moderate hypofractionation arm. Uh, 60 gray in 20 fractions, and then the same ultra hypofractionated arm, 36.25 gray in five fractions. But here they're uh, enrolling intermediate or high risk patients, and they did add hormonal therapy. So, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see the full results of, of these trials. Uh, the PACE B trial actually has completed recruitment and follow up is ongoing. The PACE B trial is the one that. Uh, compared SVRT without hormonal therapy versus the um, more con either the conventional radiation or the moderate hypofractionation radiation. Again, they, they did require fiducials, which helps us to line up and reproduce um, the, the patient anatomy every day. And pre-RT MRI was strongly recommended, um, certainly to, to get a sense of whether the uh, tumor was was organ confined, but it also helps to be sure that um, the area that you're treating is the full prostate, but not much more than the full prostate. And um, unfortunately, we don't have results on um, tumor outcomes yet, but they did publish uh, in 2019 the acute toxicity results 12 weeks post-radiation uh, therapy. So you can see over here in this uh, chart, in this table, uh, the upper line here is the conventional arm with uh, 441 patients, and the lower uh, line here is the uh, the lower row is the ultra hypofractionated approach. And you can really see that in terms of GU toxicity greater than or equal to grade two in the acute setting and GI toxicity, there really is no difference between the two, and that's the conclusion that they had. And this is very important, even though we don't have the, um, the tumor outcome data, but it's very important to be able to show in a randomized setting um, a different outcome than what was seen in the HYPO-RTPC trial, which did show an increase in acute toxicity. And this is using perhaps more updated um, radiation therapy and preparation for radiation therapy than, uh, than that trial did and it's showing that there really is no increase in the ultra-hypofractionated arm, more similar to what the meta-analysis found. So dose escalation, we know that in IMRT, there are multiple trials showing that IMRT dose escalation will improve tumor control. What about doing that in the SBRT setting? You know, the, the results are pretty good as we've shown, but can we even do better? And how would that impact um, toxicity, how would that impact tumor control? So this, um, this is a trial that was reported in, in 2015. It was a multi-institutional trial enrolling 
uh, low and intermediate risk patients in, in this uh, breakdown, as you can see, with the median follow-up of 54 months. And what they did is, uh, if you'll recall, the uh, dose that we've been seeing for ultra-hypofractionation, or SBRT, is 36.25 gray. Uh, and here they, they actually tried to dose escalate. They did it in cohorts of 15 patients. They went to 45 gray. And you know when tolerance was shown, then they went to 47.5 gray, and then 50 gray as part of the phase one, um, the phase one approach in this trial. And they did not, even at the 50 gray arm, they didn't really find uh, the maximum tolerated dose. So in a phase two, they were uncomfortable going beyond 50 gray. 50 gray means you're delivering 10 fractions for each of, 10 gray for each of five fractions. So uh, as the phase two um, portion of this trial, they enrolled another 47 patients on the 50 gray arm. So 50 gray, again, uh, contrast that with 36.25 gray. That's a significant increase in dose. And, you know, as expected, they found uh, at three years and five years that they had an e excellent um, biochemical disease-free profile, uh, survival profile. In terms of uh, GU toxicity greater than equal to grade three, uh, in, in the um, acute setting, they did not see uh, any um, grade three or more toxicity, uh, but that number did go up to 5.5% in the late setting. Um, and uh, on the GI side, in terms of what um, patients experienced and told their physicians, um, the, the actual numbers were 2% in the acute setting and in the late setting, 7%. But in this trial, they did see, which, which uh, you know, is very unusual, they did see four patients who had grade four toxicity. And that's, you know, a very um, sobering finding. It's a, a, you know, something that, that we do not typically see. Three patients had um, grade four toxicity in the rectal area and one had um, on, on the GU side. And when they did evaluation, they started looking into the rectums of, of these patients to see what the rectum looked like after this treatment. And in all cases, they found that there was some measure of either rectal erosion or ulceration uh, for these patients. So, um, you know, that, that sort of put the brakes on, on uh, some of this dose escalation. Um, and, you know, the, a very important lesson was learned to dose escalate cautiously, but the question is, how, do you, how does one do that? What can be done um, to dose escalate cautiously? We know that the prostate is very close to the rectum, just adjacent to the rectum and the bladder, and one has the urethra right there. So how, what, what are the ways to do this? So uh, this may be something that um, many of you are familiar with. Uh, this comes from the paper that I'll describe in a moment. This is using the space or hydrogel. Um, on the left, image A is um, a, native, um, a native anatomy, uh, prostate adjacent to rectum on an MRI. Image B is after the placement of uh, hydrogel between the rectum and the prostate. And, you know, if you look at all the, the different data, you can get a substantial uh, separation for us about 1 cm is substantial. And then you could see that some months later, after the hydrogel has been uh, reabsorbed by the body, you can see that there's really no trace of it 
in uh, image C. So uh, there was a randomized control trial um, that was published probably in, in 2015 um, in the Red Journal. And this was a at 20 centers, a randomized trial of space or gel placement, 222 patients who initially had workup with CT and MRI, uh, and then fiducial placement. And then these patients were randomized with opening an envelope uh, you know, during that procedure to either having the spacer placed, as you saw in the, in the pictures, or not. Uh, and then the, there was a post-procedure CT and MRI if they had it placed, uh, and then, the, um, and then the, the treatment planning. So there was no, uh, they found there was excellent tolerance of the spacer placement. There were no spacer placement serious uh, related adverse events. 99% uh, of spacer placements were successful, meaning they gave the distance that uh, we wanted and delivery of 79.2 gray uh, of radiation, which is really you know, one of the standard doses uh, of IMRT uh, was delivered, that's based on randomized data. And this is just a summary of, of some of the outcomes. Um, first of all, there was no change in tumor outcome meaning that uh, patients did as well as would be expected. Uh, when looking at the V70 of the rectum, that's one of the dose constraints that we use. That's the dose delivered to 70% um, of the rectum. So you can see that that dose with the space or in place was 3.3%, whereas um, it was 12.4% uh, or a greater percentage of the rectum receiving that. Uh, dose, the, the getting 70 gray to the rectum, 12.4% um, had it without the spacer. So that's a significant benefit. Again, the V70 is the dose um, of 70 gray to what percentage of the rectum. So that's, that's what these numbers mean. Um, acute rectal pain during RT, again, a benefit with the space or in place. Late rectal grade one toxicity, again, a benefit with the space or in place. And um, even when um, evaluating urinary quality of life, there was actually a benefit, although that's a little bit more difficult to understand. So this is a trial that left, led to the FDA approval of SPACOR, which uh, you know certainly we use regularly, and I know there are many other institutions that use that regularly. What about uh, using this SPACOR with SBRT? So as a follow-up to their initial trial, um, some of the, the same members of that group, in addition to others, reported um, at the ASTRO meeting in 2017 a study of SBRT. Uh, this was reported in abstract form. They used um, SBRT with the followed by the placement of the spacer gel. And um, their primary endpoint, or one of their primary endpoints, was being able to show a decreased rate of rectal erosion or ulceration at nine months. Uh, so they did direct endoscopy on the schedule, as you can see. And after the uh, space or placement, they delivered again a dose escalation of 45 gray in five fractions, lower intermediate risk patients and without uh, hormonal therapy. And they found that only 13.6% had rectal erosions or ulcers, all of them minimally symptomatic, which had resolved after six months so that uh, you know, maybe showed a path to victory of being able to use a higher dose SBRT and, so, and our experience as well. And I think um, my colleagues in this 
uh, putting this together who are uh, on this Zoom. So we reported on uh, 50 patients. Again, this was published in 2019 using a more modest dose, 36.25 with a follow-up of 20 months. Uh, and we didn't see any grade three GU or GI toxicity. Um, grade two um, GU and GI toxicity was present then. There were no PSA failures. So again, proving that, um, that the gel does help uh, to decrease toxicity. So now, um, just two short years after the, um, the consensus statement by the uh, ASTRO group and ASCO and, um, and AUA advising caution for, uh, to use um, SBRT in different settings beyond low-risk prostate cancer. Now this is the NCCN um, updated guidelines, and you can see that ultra-hypofractionation um, can be used as a, a standard of care option here for very low or low-risk prostate cancer favorable intermediate, unfavorable intermediate, and even high-risk prostate cancer. Um, so I, I, I'll stop at this point and I'll be happy to entertain any questions. Dr. Deutsch, that was a great talk. Thank you so much. Amazing overview, very enlightening for me, and I'm sure many other people here who usually just write in our notes like, XRT and don't actually know what that means. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, we do have a few questions here in the chat. Um, the first one is from uh, Ethan Fram. He asked, looks like many of these trials do not consistently use ADT. Uh, why is that and how do they decide when ADT is going to be used or not? So, so um, that's a great question. Some of the um, idea behind this is whether one can overcome the need for ADT by using a higher dose of radiation therapy. And, uh, you know, we don't necessarily know the answer to that, but um, dose escalation uh, has been shown in some trials, both in the brachy setting, um, in the carbon ion setting, in the um, just standard photon uh, radiation setting. In, in some instances, it has been shown to provide um, enough dose escalation that the benefit from adding hormonal therapy is felt to be minimal. We know that there are many randomized trials that uh, do add hormonal therapy and survival benefit was seen. Uh, many of those trials are a little bit older using more modest doses. The question is in the high dose setting um, or you know, in the, what we call the bio high biologically equivalent dose setting, um, would you be able to obviate the need for hormonal therapy? So, you know, that's some of the thinking behind it. Uh, certainly, um, you know, for in a standard of care approach, I would not recommend, uh, for, for example, for a high-risk prostate cancer um, to go forward without using um, the, the hormonal therapy. But it's certainly something that's being studied and it's a very intriguing question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jessica Hawley, one of your colleagues uh, in radiation oncology at Columbia asked, how does the technique and or dose change in the salvage setting when you're talking about ultra hypofractionation? So in the, uh, I guess there are two 
um, there are two possibilities for the salvage setting. One is the uh, post-radiation salvage setting, and the other is the post-prostatectomy um, post salvage setting. So let, let's uh, tackle the post-prostatectomy salvage setting first. Uh, you don't really have the prostate there. You're dealing with a potential space at that point, uh, and that potential space is really um, bounded by your rectum posteriorly, your bladder anteriorly. Um, so, and actually the bladder is part of your uh, target volume. The inferior portion of the bladder is, has to be part of your target volume because that's where the anastomosis is. So, uh, you know, th there have been some uh, tentative forays into using SBRT or, or ultra hypofractionation in that setting, uh, but we really don't have a lot of data uh, and and um, I guess it's it's uh, a little bit of a, a more frightening concept to to approach that with ultra hypofractionation because um, you know when you don't have the prostate in place it's a little bit more difficult to control the variables. Having said that, there are trials uh, that are either being put together or currently accruing um, to use ultra hypofractionation in the post prostatectomy setting in the post. Uh, in the salvage setting post-radiation therapy, uh, so on the radiation side, the most commonly used salvage uh, approach is brachytherapy. Uh, traditionally, that's what it has been to, in terms of a radiation approach to this clinical problem. Uh, there are some who have reported recently on using very focused, if the MRI and the biopsy data uh, shows that you could be comfortable that there's a small amount of tumor uh, that's perhaps in only one part of the prostate, there are some that have um, run trials looking at an SBRT approach, but that would be more of a focal approach, not treating the entire prostate, um, but, but rather more of a focal uh, setting. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Himes from Columbia asked, what are the concerns with secondary malignancy when it comes to ultra hypofractionation? Right, so uh, great question. Any of uh, the radiation approaches, um, anytime one delivers radiation therapy, there is a slight increased risk of secondary malignancy. Uh, it's important to think about what the normal tissue is receiving as a result of the course of radiation, and that may impact the risk of secondary malignancy. So when one delivers a conventional um, a conventional fractionated approach, <clears throat> even in areas that are distant from the um, from the target, you can have um, you can have decent doses that are building up over time, entrance doses, exit doses that are building up over time, and these can impact the um, you know the radiation the the radiation induced secondary malignancy profile. With ultra hypofractionation, the because of, first of all, the shorter course of treatment and uh, very importantly, the very conformal nature of the therapy that's being delivered, once you get uh, more than a, a few centimeters away from the target, uh, the, the doses that are being delivered are, are very low and the doses that are being delivered are, um, you know, are, are only building up over five fractions as opposed to perhaps uh, you know, 40 fractions. So in theory, in theory, and, and there are some who have modeled uh, this as well, in theory, one can say that there would likely be uh, less of a risk of, of secondary malignancy, uh, but 
you know, certainly the, the data is not yet available. One would need longer term data, a uh, decade, maybe 15 years out to, to actually offer some sort of real answer. But it's an intriguing possibility that we may um, do better in that front as well. Thanks. Um, Dr. Matulowicz from NYU asked, can you comment on CyberKnife technology and the purported benefits of it? Yes, so uh, CyberKnife is, um, is a technology, it's the name of a machine that, uh, that delivers radiation therapy. The difference between uh, the CyberKnife and um, a regular linear accelerator is that the CyberKnife um, has arms on the uh, radiation delivery uh, gantry and as such can uh, approach from various different angles, whereas a linear accelerator has more of a fixed radiation delivery apparatus. Uh, and and um, while it has some degrees of freedom, it's certainly nowhere near the uh, degrees of freedom that, that a, uh, a cyber knife approach has. Um, secondly, the cyber knife is often paired with, um, with a, a, um, uh, a radio, um, frequency um, beacon within the that's placed within the prostate that allows um, that allows one to track and follow the um, changes in anatomy that happen during the course of radiation being delivered so you know most typically we deliver a course of radiation after we set the patient up and confirm appropriate uh, anatomical alignment at the beginning of a course of radiation and then you just deliver the course of treatment <clears throat> here with the cyber knife uh, paired with this technology you can actually follow intra fraction changes um, with the advent of vmat um, and uh, you know very high dose rate delivery um, the the courses of treatment tend to be delivered in, in a very short order it's not you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes on the treatment table, but it's, you know, one can deliver some of these courses of treatment in somewhere between three and six minutes. Uh, so the likelihood of, of movement does decrease um, when using bladder filling, when using the, um, the gel, perhaps you can have even greater immobilization uh, of the prostate, but that's really the difference between the two. What's intriguing is that the, um, the pace B uh, trial that I mentioned uh, in, in this was not part of the original, um, the original analysis plan, uh, but they did look at um, patients who were treated in a cyber knife um, and then patients who were treated in, in a non-cyber knife. And you know, it'll be interesting to, uh, they did see some slight differences in toxicity uh, and the question will be if those will be borne out in the long term. So it is, it is an intriguing question. Right now, the thinking is that uh, you know the the um, the outcomes, both from a tumor perspective and from a toxicity perspective, are probably very equivalent. Uh, but it would be interesting to see more and more data. Uh, that's, <coughs> excuse me. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, that's about all the time we have, Dr. Deutsch. I think we need to shift gears over to our next presentation. So I just want to give you a big thanks for participating in our Empire Urology series here, uh, bringing your perspective and giving us a little bit of uh, multidisciplinary flavor this morning. Um, thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the opportunity.